Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. We all have something in common. We were made for relationships. Yet at the same time that we were made for relationships, we all resist them also. We were made to crave relationship, yet we fear it. We search for relationship, yet we sabotage it. These are true things of all of us. We all live in a world that is full of complicated relationships. This month in February, we're going to spend our time talking about how to have relationships that are less complicated, that are more godly, that are more intentional, and that hopefully let people see Jesus in us, around us, and through us. In about 2017 or so, we preached a series, I preached a series called It's Complicated. It was similar to this one, but this is going to be a little bit different. That one talked about being single and being uh, married and having kids, all kinds of things. This one here, what I hope is that everybody everywhere can get something from the Word of God because we all have relationships. We're going to talk about them all in general. And instead of talking about specific types of relationships, I want to talk this month about how you live, how you engage, and how you interact with people around you. Friendships, at work, in your neighborhood, at school, your family, your marriage, your kids, your parents, everybody that's around you. And I want to talk about how when we approach relationships with purity, when we approach relationships as trustworthy people who are committed and who are connected, we are healthier. And we look more like Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. And we'll be in James chapter 4 most of the time today. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy 5, though. So I'm going to jump just a little bit at the beginning here. I want to pray for us as we jump into the Word of God. And we learn that purity is not just related to sexual things, but it's related to everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, and everything that we are. Let me pray for you, then we'll jump into the Word together. Father, I ask this morning, that you would speak out of your word, that you would convict us of places that we have been impure in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way we think. I ask, Father, you would convict us of places that we have been impure in our relationships, and you would point out the ones that aren't healthy, so that, Father, you could replace that impurity with your holiness, with your purity, so we could live and we could be like the the pure, the perfect masterpiece of your creation that you made us to be. I pray every relationship we have would reflect and would honor you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to a guy named Timothy. He's going to share two sentences I want to start with today. He shares this, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, do not rebuke an older man. Do not rebuke him harshly, but exhort him or encourage him as if he were your father. Paul says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. 
with absolute purity. Now, I believe that when we read the Word of God, we should read it at face value. We should not always overcomplicate things, but just look at it and say, well, this is obviously what God is saying here through Paul in this instance. And when I do that, I can look at it and say, okay, what's Paul saying? Paul says, don't rebuke older men. Treat them with ex- uh, exhortation or encouragement. Uh, treat young men as brothers, older women as mothers, and young women as sisters. And then he tags on for younger women only with absolute purity. I could look at that, and I could think that, and it's true, but it might not be the whole truth. When I was younger... When I was younger, I had a dating relationship. I dated a young lady for about 13 months, just over a year or so. And I had this dating relationship that I thought was great and was perfect and was awesome. And I enjoyed it and it was good. And everybody else in my life, though, could point out exactly how unhealthy and how impure and how not good this relationship was. This relationship was fueled by lust and by selfishness. It was fueled by by enjoying the moment, it caused us to, it caused me, me, to reject and to push away and resist and alienate everybody in my life. My friends, my church, my family. It caused me to dishonor, disrespect, and reject my parents and my immediate family. And after, what, after 13 months or so, what I realized was this relationship that I was in with this younger lady, this young woman, it had put me on an island where the impurities that were in my heart, the impurities in my life were ruining and complicating everything and pushing everybody away. So I could read what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, and it would be true, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. But I wonder, as I wrestled with purity and it began to clarify and to improve my dating life, I wonder though, I wonder if Paul actually, if he were to stand right here and he were to look us in the eyes, I wonder if Paul might actually tell us that absolute purity needs to overflow into other relationships as well. Not just the romantic ones in our life. I wonder if Paul might look back up here and say, you know, what I, what I wish I would say to you right now is to treat older, older men, don't rebuke them harshly, but encourage them with absolute purity. Make sure that the words you speak are pure and that are good and not harsh and not mean, but treat them with purity. I wonder if Paul would tell us, treat younger men As brothers, not being overly competitive, trying to win and trying to get a leg up on everybody. Treat them as brothers with absolute purity, encouraging and lifting them up, as it says in Proverbs, so that one person will sharpen another and improve both of them. Treat them with absolute purity. I wonder if Paul would stand here and tell us, actually, I want you to treat older women as mothers with absolute purity, honoring them and respecting them and loving them and being kind and gentle and patient with them, instead of being harsh and dismissive and sarcastic and hurtful with them. I wonder if Paul would say to us, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity, just like you treat older men and older women and younger men, so that every relationship in your life is lived out with absolute purity. I am 
42 years old. And I look back at my life at any age, at any moment, at any time. And I can't count the number of relationships that I have complicated and quite possibly ruined because of the impurities in my life. I've been in ministry now for just over 20 years, going on 25 years now, and I have had countless conversations with people who are part of this church and other churches, people who are trying to follow Jesus, people who are struggling in a broken world. I've had countless conversations with people who have complicated and quite possibly ruined relationships romantically with friends, with work and co-workers and bosses and employees and peers at school. They have complicated and quite possibly ruined relationships and it all stems from the impurities that are inside of us. Impurities always destroy. And I think Paul would tell us, whether you're talking to older men or older women or younger men or younger women, whether it's romantic or it's platonic or it's uh, a, a paid co-worker thing or it's a school thing, no matter what type of relationship or what type of person, Treat them with absolute purity. Because you were made in the image of God, a pure, holy God, to be his masterpiece. So treat everybody like that. We're going to look at James chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. James chapter 4, verse 1. If you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, these blue Bibles, they're in the room with us. I want to give you a Bible today. If you're online and don't have a Bible, I want to send you one. So send us your contact information so we can get a Bible to you. In these blue Bibles here, James 4 is on page number 827. I want you to have access to the Word of God. It'll be on the screens as well in the room here. In James 4, verse 1, James, the brother of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, he writes these words. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What is it that causes you to fight and to quarrel? Isn't it the desires that are inside of you? We could list off all kinds of desires that are inside of us, impurities that are inside of us. We could list off all kinds of things like lust and pride and revenge selfishness. We can list off all these things that have caused relationships to be complicated and quite possibly ruined, but there's another one that we overlook all the time. It's an impurity that causes fights and quarrels, these things that battle within us. And in my life, in my experience, so many of my relationships have been broken, complicated, and ruined, not, some, not just because I've been a person of pride, although I confess that I am, not because I'm a person of revenge, although I confess that I have been at times, but most of my complicated and ruined relationships have actually come from a point of trying to be funny when I shouldn't. I, I like to be funny, and I like to be laughed with, occasionally laughed at, I like to be funny. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, let me give an example. In the sixth grade, I did a terrible thing. I did a terrible thing, and I complicated a relationship. It's been healed since then, but I was in sixth grade. I did a terrible thing. Uh, my, my parents uh, at our home, I, have a, I had a younger sister, and so they took my younger sister to parent-teacher conferences one day. But being the mature, well-adjusted sixth grader that I was, I did not have to go to parent-teacher conferences so I stayed home that particular day. I had a friend that stayed the night with me. We stayed in the house together, and, and my parents took my sister, and they went off to parent-teacher conferences, and I stayed home with my friend, and we got a little bored while we were at home, and when you're a 12-year-old sixth-grade boy and you're a little bored with a buddy at home, some bad things can happen. And so we started to look around, and we wandered the house looking for things that we might do. 
We passed my sister's room. We looked in there, and I said, I have an idea. It's a brilliant idea. My sister had an innumerable amount of stuffed animals and dolls throughout her room. They were all over, strewn about everywhere in her room. So we went out to my garage with my dad's stuff out there, and we found my dad's big spool of twine. And we came back in, and we began to cut off pieces of twine. And this is terrible and horrible. Please don't judge me so much. I would never do this in our current culture, but as a sixth-grade boy, it was very funny. We tied tiny nooses around all these dolls and stuffed animals. And we tied them all, we stuck them all in the ceiling, little pushpins in the ceiling, and we stuck them all to the ceiling. And so when my parents and my sister all got back home again, she was going to find this horrific display that I would never, ever do now. But when I was a sixth grader, it was very funny. My friend and I, we wanted to get the full experience firsthand, so we hid under the bed. So that when they came in, we would hear the response, and we would see the response, and it would be, the best possible result. So we hid under the bed, and when they came in, we could hear them coming, and we were like, shh, be quiet. I'm sure we were not being nearly as quiet as we thought we were being in the moment. They came in, and my sister, when she entered the room and she saw all the destruction that was there about, she, she got loud. There was screaming, and there was sobbing, and there was yelling, and there was anger, and there was all kinds of being upset. And my friend and I, we got to giggling and snickering and laughing under the bed, and then we realized we had chosen the worst possible position to view this from because my sister turned when she realized where we were, and she started kicking us in the face over and over again down here under the bed, and it was terrible. You know what? James says, what causes fights? And quarrels among you with your siblings, your co-workers, your friends, your family, your neighbors, people in your church. What causes it? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Sometimes, just our desires to be funny, to get even, to win, they can complicate some things. And they can cause us to do some things that in the moment seem funny, but we look back at them and we're like, oh, that was not a good idea. They cause us to do things that we look back at. We tell our kids, don't do that. They complicate things. Sometimes, stories don't go as well as it went with my sister, where we were able, after some punishments, we were able to rekindle that relationship, and, and we're friends today. But sometimes, we complicate them to the point of ruining them. And I have sat with countless people talking about broken, ruined marriages and friendships and jobs. And it always comes from some kind of impure thought, motive, or something. It always does. James says, what causes fights? Well, it is always impurities. James goes on, and he says, you desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. Uh, you hear this this morning, and you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've never killed. 
but we don't have to physically kill to kill a relationship to complicate something to the point of ruining it. See, impurities do that. Impurities drive us. Impurities like lust and revenge and trying to be funny and trying to win and being overly competitive. These impure things, these impure motives, they can kill our relationships. They drive us to chase after things that we can't quite grasp that are a little bit beyond us and we chase after these things and we ruin our relationships that we were created for because we chase after them. When I was in high school, going into college, I had a job. I had a great job with a great boss in a great place, and I didn't know how good I had it in that moment. But because I was young and arrogant and not as funny as I thought I was and not as polite as my parents wished I was, I spent all my time, my job, mocking and demeaning and belittling my boss and my people I worked with to the point where I had a great job with a great boss and I ruined it and I lost it because I quit. And I did maintain that I quit because I quit right before they could fire me. But I quit, you know? The fallout of all that. My sister, who also worked there, lost her job. I went back to that place and... I offered to fight my boss. I probably would have lost that fight, just so you know. But I offered it because I was angry. This is what we do when we revel in our impurities. My parents had to get involved. It caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. A lot of pain for a lot of people. You desire things that you can't quite have, and so you kill relationships, so you kill things. You covet things you shouldn't have. You... you you can't get things that you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. These all come from things that are impure within us. Our pride, our arrogance, our selfishness. See, impurity shows up in a million different ways. Impurity shows up in a million different ways. But it only leads to, it only ever leads to one result. And that is brokenness. Let me sidestep in Scripture for a second. Let me read some of Jesus' words to you. So you can hear Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Just listen to what Jesus had to say. Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And, and Jesus lifts them off. He, he shares some Things like sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These are things that come out of a person. And Jesus says all of these evils come from inside. They defile a person. They make a person unclean, impure, unholy, broken. Let me list those for you again. These are things that Jesus shares. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly or foolishness. We could paraphrase our own list. Lust, and pride, and anger, and bitterness, and revenge, selfishness, the desire to be funny, a million different ways, a million different names, a million different justifications, a million different causes, a million different roots, only one result, brokenness. Or, to use Bible words, death. 
Paul says in Romans 6, the consequences, the wages of sin, the consequences of impurities are death. It's death. We are broken to the point of dying for eternity, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, what God wants to do is to restore you back to the place of purity, to the place of holiness, to the place that you were created to be in. God wants to restore you back to himself. He did that through Jesus, his son, who came from heaven to earth to die on a cross. Jesus came as a perfect man. He never sinned. He was pure at birth, and he lived a pure life, a holy life, and he went to the cross as that pure sacrifice force, and he hung there, and his body was broken, and his blood was shed as he gave his life for us. So when we surrender our impurities when we surrender those things that come from within that defile us and we lay them at the foot of the cross, when we do that and Jesus' blood that flowed from the cross washes over and forgives us, we get to be pure again. At this church, the way we do that is through baptism. We're lowered into water. And when we're lowered into the water, symbolically being buried in our impurity, the blood of Jesus flows and washes, forgives, and cleans us of that impurity. And we come out of the water. And I will tell you this. When you come out of that water of baptism, you stand there for the first time, you are as pure then as you've ever been. Because Jesus has forgiven the impurities and taken them away. And all those things that used to to rattle around inside you and fill you up, there is a void there now. And God sends his Holy Spirit to fill that emptiness His holy, pure spirit to fill you back up so you can walk in step with the Holy Spirit coming out of the water. You get a second chance. We have a God of second chances who knows you were created to be pure and have pure relationships, but the broken world has tempted you and drugged you away. So he gave a way to come back. Impurity shows up in a million different ways. But the only result... It's brokenness and death. That's it. That's it. If I go back to James, and I keep reading what he has to say, this is what he writes. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives or with impure motives, with impurities, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, your self-centered pleasures that spring from your impure motives. You see, impurity affects every relationship, not just your friends, not just your marriage, not just your kids. It affects every relationship. It affects your fellowship with God. It affects every single thing about you. You ever pray for something for a long time and you don't get it? God seems to not answer it and you wonder what's going on. I've been praying. I don't know why it's not happening. What is wrong with me? What's wrong with God? Is God still here? I don't know what's going on. And then if you pause and you examine your life, you realize that the thing you're praying for, the thing you're asking for, really doesn't align with God's mission, his will, and his plan for his kingdom to come and to grow and to transform people, but actually it aligns more with your desire to get something that you want, that you covet, that you're jealous of, you're lusting for. And you realize that God just doesn't bless things that don't align with him. God doesn't bless things that are impure. Impurity affects every relationship, every thing. 
even the way you interact with God. James keeps writing here. He says, you adulterous people. You gave your heart to God that you took it back and tried to give it to something else. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world or friendship with the impurity, accepting the impurity of the world, don't you know that that means enmity or division against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world to revel in the impurity of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, that God gives us more grace? He's a God of second chances. That's why Scripture says that God opposes the proud because pride is an impurity within us. But he shows favor to the humble. Favor to the humble. Last October, October the 17th, 2021, I preached a message. I called it the three-step plan that never ends. Maybe you recall that, the three-step plan that never ends. If you weren't here that day or you don't recall it, I'd love for you to go and check it out again. There's a link in the sermon notes and the church app today, the CCCJ app. You can see it again right there, the three-step plan that never ends. I want to remind you of the three steps. It was this passage right here. James says, here in James 4, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. And I said in the three-step plan that never ends, I said you had to follow the Lord. And then James says, Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. And, and I said in the three-step plan that never ends, you've got to reject the enemy. And then James says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And I said in the three-step plan that never ends, you've got to take the next step. This is why it never ends, because we follow the Lord, and then we have to reject the enemy, and then we take the next step, which takes us back to following the Lord again. It's a three-step plan that never ends. It never ends at all. But I, I stopped right there on October the 17th. I want to ask this morning, though, what's the next step? If we're going to take the next step, what's the next step in uncomplicating our relationships? What's the next step in bringing purity back to our relationships? In James chapter 4, James tells it to us right here. It's this very next line. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts. You double-minded. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. It doesn't matter what type of relationship we're talking about, romantic or platonic or a work-based one or school-based one, it doesn't matter. Anywhere in between, it does not matter. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The things that you do with your hands, the things that you do with your hands, and the things that you are in your heart, the things you do and the things that you are, all have to be purified by God. Everything you do and everything you are has to be surrendered to Jesus so he can replace the brokenness of the world with the unbrokenness of his kingdom. The things that you do and the things that you are have to be surrendered. That means that your lustful thoughts, the things that you think in your heart, the thought, lustful thoughts that you have that you think nobody else knows, they have to be surrendered. Purify your hearts. 
That means that your vindictive actions, the things that you do, and you think you are sneaky, and you think no one knows what's happening, no one is there, and with me and my sister, no one was there, and we did a thing, we hid under the bed, they knew where we were. Your vindictive actions that you think nobody knows about, they have to be surrendered. They have to be surrendered. You have to wash your hands. Your, your selfish thoughts, the things in your heart that are self-centered, that are you-centered, trying to get ahead for yourself at any cost to anyone else, they have to be surrendered. They, the jealous actions that you do with your hands have to be surrendered. Your bitter thoughts in your heart have to be surrendered. You think all you're hurting is yourself. What does it matter? I can be bitter at him. I can be bitter at her. I can hate that person. No one else gets hurt by that. Is not true. You have to surrender your bitter thoughts. Purify your hearts. Your competitive actions, the things you do to push and to stiff arm people out of the way so you can win, have to be surrendered. You've got to wash your hands of all this nonsense, all these lies that Satan has filled you with, all these temptations that the world has thrown at you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why, you ask, is that so important? It is important for this reason right here. Your life, it will never outpace your purity. Your life will never outpace your purity. You're trying to live this life, and you're trying to get ahead, and you're trying to be successful, and you don't know why you keep running into a wall over and over again. It's because the impurities in your life are tripping you up. Your life can never go further, go faster than your purity allows it to go. If you keep hearing your your employers, if your bosses, and you've had multiple jobs, and your bosses keep telling you the same thing about you all the time, and you don't like it, and you don't know why you keep hearing it, it might not be them. It's the impurities in your heart, in your hands. If you keep hearing the same thing from people that you date, it might not be them. It's the impurities that battle within you. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. If you keep hearing the same thing from your family, from your peers, from your coworkers, if you hear the same thing and people complain the same things in you, it might not be everybody else, and it might be that your heart is impure and your hands are impure. So wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Because your life can never go further or faster than your purity allows it to go. And James actually gives us very clear steps. James says in the very next thing, he says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Grieve, mourn, and wail. If you're going to follow a simple three-step plan to have purity in your relationships, you've got to grieve, mourn, and wail. Step number one, you have to grieve for the time that you've wasted in impurity. Grieve for the time you've wasted in impurity. How long have you been living? How long have you been dating this person? How long have you had that friend? How long have you been acting that way? How long have you been doing this at work? How long have you been thinking those thoughts? Grieve for the time wasted in impurity. Is it days, weeks, months, years, decades? How long have you been wasting the life that God gave you to live for His glory and His honor to live holy and pure the way you were created in God's image, how long have you been wasting all that? And the impurity that Satan's been 
whispering in your ear. When we recognize the things that battle within us, when we recognize the things that make us impure and holy and unclean, and we confess it to somebody and we repent of it, we change the way we think about it, our proper and appropriate response is to grieve for the time we lost. James tells us the next verse, he says to change our laughter, change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to gloom. Change the the joy you've been feeling. Change the joy you've been feeling in, in the world, impure things and motives you've been living in. Change the joy you felt in that. Instead, step number two, you've got to start to rejoice in the newfound life that Jesus gave you. You grieve for what you've lost. Grieve for what you wasted. And then find joy that God gives a second chance. He's a God of second chances. He pulls you up out of the muck and out of the mire to give you another opportunity. And then James says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Step number three. Step number three. Live at the pace of purity. Every single one of us, because we are humans that are broken, living in a broken world, every single one of us have been trying to live lives based on our own motives, on our own things, and we've been trying to outpace our purity and leave it behind. So many of us have been trying to let Jesus be a Sunday morning church thing, and then we do whatever we want Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But if we are going to restore purity, if we're going to let God transform us and restore purity back to our relationships, it's only going to become because we grieve the time we wasted, we change from being joyful in impurity, and we are now rejoicing in the newfound life that Jesus gives us. And then we humble ourselves and we live at the pace of purity. What does that mean practically? It means when you go to work and your boss tells you to do something and you know that boss and you know how you react to that and you know how you feel about that and you get angry about that and you think those thoughts, those things. I know we're all Christians here and we're all going to church here and so we want to speak pure holy words and things but we also live in a broken world so I know every one of us has an extensive vocabulary and you think those words. It means you reject the enemy. And you humble yourself. You know it would feel good to go and to mock that boss, to speak those words, to ridicule and to demean and to complain and to be angry. But you reject the enemy in that. You humble yourself and you live at the pace of purity instead. Saying yes, sir, no, sir, and honoring the people of authority. What's it look like practically? It means when you're, when you're romantically involved with somebody, whether you're dating them or you're engaged to them or you're married to them, It means that you treat them with absolute purity and whatever is appropriate by how that relationship is defined. So if you're not married, hands off. You live at the pace of purity. If you are married, hands off everybody else. You live at the pace of purity. You don't think lustfully about people you're not married to. You live at the pace of purity. When you deal with friends and they're giving you jokes 
and, and you're wanting to say some jokes and you're wanting to say whatever there, you live at the pace of purity instead, rejecting the enemy, following the Lord, taking the next step, and you speak words that are pure and holy. Live at the pace of purity. And church, when you do that, when you live at the pace of purity and you begin to let Jesus transform the way you speak and the way you act, you wash your hands, you purify your hearts, and you let yourself resemble the way you were created, people around you start to say that you're different and the kingdom of God starts to grow and people start to be transformed and that's when you realize the purpose you were made for. Stop trying to outpace your purity. Stop trying to revel in the impure things that Satan has whispered to you. And start living at the pace of a pure God, a pure kingdom, and a pure mission. This morning, I want to invite you to live at that pace. If you've never followed Jesus, I want to invite you to follow that Jesus today. I also want to invite you, if you've Follow Jesus, but you know there's an impure relationship, an impure moment, an impure thought, an impure action, something in your life that has been nagging you and you feel horrible and you know it's wrong, but you've not been able to shake it yet. I want to invite you to follow Jesus again with that, to surrender that to him. So if you need to follow Jesus for the first time or you need to surrender something new, I invite you when we stand to sing in a minute to go out the back, go out the back door, the side doors to the next steps table, and we will talk with you and pray with you out there with that next step. So you can follow Jesus. If it's your first time, you'll be lowered into water, baptized in water. And in that water, you're symbolically buried in your impurity. Jesus' blood will wash over you and forgive you. Will forgive you of all that impure stuff. And you'll come out of the water filled with the pure Holy Spirit of God. So you can live at the pace of purity. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Live like you were made to live. I invite you to that today. And for all of us that have been following Jesus today, I challenge you. I challenge you when you were sent from this place later on, when you go to work this week, when you go to school, when you leave and do all your things, I challenge you to follow the Lord, reject the enemy, and take the next step of living at the pace of purity in every relationship with every person in every place. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to stand to sing to respond to Jesus. Don't let this moment pass. Surrender whatever is not pure in your life. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you made us in your image, that you loved us, that you breathed life into us. I thank you, Father, that, that in the beginning when you made Adam, you also made Eve to be together in relationship and when they sin, Father, you provide a way back to you. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be that way back so he could be a, a pure sacrifice, a, a pure lamb hanging on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Father, I thank you that there is a way back to what you want us to be. And Father, I pray this morning that you would, you would convict us, that you would call us, and you would accept us as we return. And Father, I pray that our lives would be pure, would be holy, would look like you. And I pray that a broken, impure, evil, dead world would find life in you through us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at Kenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.